Well, hello there. This is Doing Bits, but it's a little bit different today. This is the first of two parts on mine and Kez's understanding of what we learned from blockchain rewiring governance, which was a conference held at the Cambridge Judge Business School. Uh, lots of great things came out of it, so we've had to split it into two parts. The first of which deals with Garrick Hillman, uh, CEO of Mosaic.io, and his research into what makes for a good blockchain company. And secondly, uh, the economics of blockchain, governing markets and business, as hosted by Dr. Stella Pacidi, featuring Paul Ellis, Dr. Garrick Hillman again, Stefan George and Danny Go. Followed up by Eva Kali, uh, the Member of European Parliament. Um, she was elected in 2014 and is a firm believer in distributed ledgers, blockchain technology and the possibilities of the space. So without any further ado, here's my thoughts and Kieran's on what we got out of the Blockchain Rewiring Governance Conference. Who was yeah, the first speaker? Uh, name is Garrick Hilliman. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he, he seemed to have been quite involved in the space for a while because I think you definitely had read some of his work before. I had, so it turned out that he had written the annual report for a website called Coindesk um, mm-hmm. a couple of times. I don't think he'd done last year's, which is, uh, but I mean, I, I'd read some of the previous reports just to kind of educate myself. So mm-hmm. that's good to hear. But I think he's kind of suggested later on in the panel, didn't he, that he left, he kind of, I wouldn't say like he he left them. He kind of seemed to uh, distance himself from them a bit because of uh, the fact that they were now selling a lot of ICOs as part of their advertising banner, and he couldn't. The independence was quite a big thing for him, wasn't it? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and that seemed to then have led him on to his own ICO, um, Mosaic.io, which I've not looked into yet, but it sound really interesting. Where he's trying to kind of provide. Um, uh, transparent or unbiased view on the ICOs and the companies that are coming out. So I think everyone in the space would be very interested in that. Yeah, I think so. I took a brief look today just as a bit of a research for this, and uh, it looks interesting. There's a bit more to it than he said. So the token okay. is used as like an incentive. So the so you vote for basically articles or research for you vote for the quality of it essentially. So if one of us put up well the sound of it, if one of us put up something, say we put up something about mosaic itself, um mm. for instance, or like or, or about Bitcoin. So let's say Bitcoin. So you put Bitcoin up, you're saying there's this coin called Bitcoin, I think it may have value, may not. And people essentially seem to vote for you based on um how well they or how how quality of the research you've done. And the the longer you've been a site member and uh, the more tokens you've got, the, the, the more value your opinion has. So if you've okay. been so if you had been we say we're like the two originals who join it mm-hmm. and like down the line, uh, we've accumulated a decent amount of tone tokens um, and we've got uh, obviously an older opinion. I think our opinion will be worth more. And um, the better researched items, it seems, the one with the highest ratings, get given tokens or parts of tokens as part of all this, um, like, scenario. So 
that's pretty cool so you mine by researching basically so you, see, you do research and that and that's how you earn your coins yeah absolutely man very very nice idea I mean, so the only question i've got is we've talked about steam in the past about how they get away because it seemed on steam it like you said a bunch of people took control very quickly and mm. they're the opinions that count i'd love to see how they've i'm sure they've seen that given the amount of research you seem to do in everything you talked about i'm sure they've seen that and i'd be interested to see how they're trying to combat it. yeah that's a good point how they're going to solve you know the first uh the prime movers they say the first user and i think that's a bit of a problem i've seen in some other coins you know there's got to be a decent reason for people to get in a little bit later um but a lot of the other things that you said i mean that i thought was really cool um but the thing that i think surprised me the most was how into this space financially and in terms of testing um central banks and big public sector institutions are because you know the official line in mainstream media has been oh be afraid, be very afraid of Bitcoin and all blockchain technology. But where is it? up on the Cambridge Judge um, Business School, you can actually find uh, a global blockchain benchmark study, um, which is written by your man, Dr. Garrett Hillman, and one Michael Ralphs, I think if I pronounced that correctly. Um, but it does have information like, I think, what, was it 60% of uh, central banks? have um already experimented with blockchain technology i think it might be yeah i think 63 percent of central banks and 69 percent of other public sector institutions have already been involved in proof of concepts and or running trials generally uh, the public sector institutions are further ahead than your central banks so that's further kind of confidence that the tech's here to stay but also kind of a word to the wise that the moneyed investors or people who already have a bit of power are consolidating their position. And I think I think maybe that's making the trading a little bit harder. Yeah, I think so. Just from this week, it's been a bit, uh, it's been a bit harder to pick the trend, or that's what I felt. Well, I, yeah, I feel it's been like a sideways. And um, though I know we'll do it with specifically focusing on the conference we went to, um, the one piece of news that come out that I think is really noteworthy is, the, is today, actually, the fact that a company called Circle are buying an exchange called Polynex, which is well, it's actually the first exchange I use for all coins. Um, and is um, it's a fairly popular exchange. Um, but Circle has had a significant amount of money invested in it from Goldman Sachs. I think mm. something like 50 of the 170 million they raised or something in their uh, venture capitalist stage of their funding. So it, it seems like one of the big players is making a move, basically. Yeah, um, and that's a pretty pretty solid move into the space, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Just... It seems like looking deeper, someone, I don't know if it's true or not, so this is hearsay. Someone released a slide saying, this is the most I've found out. It's apparently leaked from the paperwork to this, and they have applied for the SEC to be an exchange in America and to basically be the first um, authentic exchange because they're using the reputation they're invested by issue to um, okay. back. Um, so whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that would make sense to me. 
Yeah, they're going to get in and then obviously take the easy money of every time you make a trade. Um, Goldman Sachs is hoovering up yet more cash. Uh, <laughs> were, there, were there any other things that your man Garrick said which kind of stuck out for you? Yeah, I mean, he, he said a couple of things. So he was, um, as you said, the bank, the central bank thing really shocked me. Um, mm. Really shocked me. I think both of us like were quite shocked by that. I mean, he, he followed that up by saying that last year, about this time, twelve months ago, you, they estimated three to five million people were involved in cryptocurrencies. He estimated now that was up to fifty to thirty million, which is obviously quite a big increase. Mm. Um, he also mentioned the way to control it. So he his his knowledge of history and finance was incredible, wasn't it? He had, and he cited the 1930s quite a lot and the the big crash then, and various things that happened in then. And he actually said, and I didn't know this, that gold was banned at one point because people were putting all their money into the gold market and taking it out of the economy essentially. It depends, I guess, on how big it gets. At the moment, it's not that big, but um, when you know, large number of people start saving, then it, it has like, um, I think it has like inflationary effects. Basically, it affects the economy um, because it's taking money out of circulation. So before they start taxing, I guess if, if the numbers are as small as they are, then it's not such a problem. But um, I read somewhere today that someone, someone was saying they think that Bitcoin is massively undervalued because basically eventually it's going to be the reserve currency of the world. And then I started thinking about that, thinking, well, okay, wow. I guess that's why. Then tying into this, like, why you banned gold. Originally, you know, gold was was the reserve currency or was, or was the standard against which, you know, everything was measured. If Bitcoin gets to that kind of level, then there are, I guess, other political concerns, which I don't know if, I don't know if anyone's, like, thinking about that. I'm sure, actually... Coming away from the from the conference, I'm far more confident that people are thinking about these yeah. possibilities. But it, it it has made me um, change what I'm trying to do, I guess, with with my investing. But yeah, that was crazy that they banned gold, and maybe they would ban cryptocurrencies for a time. But I don't think you can. I think this is maybe the problem you have. I mean, you can physically ban gold, definitely. You can ban people putting money into cryptocurrencies. I remember him saying that was one of the vectors yeah. of attack, as he said, like the on-ramp and off-ramp. So you could make it so that you couldn't go to the bank and then buy um, Bitcoin or go to the bank and say, well, you, you shouldn't accept trades which have happened in Bitcoin. But once the money's in the system, as long as there's a computer which is turned on and you know has the distributed ledger, I'm not really sure that there's much they can do about that. No, I'm not sure there is either. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, that, I mean, that was... Yeah, cause it, when you mentioned that about the on-ramp, on-ramp, uh, off-ramp stuff about controlling that part, could like that's how they could shut down cryptocurrency or try and crush it. Um, he, he also kind of mentioned that he didn't think they're trying to. And his example is the Bank of England. Mm. Um, they'd only be concerned when if they thought it was a genuine rival currency. So obviously they don't see the the vanguard, if you like, like Bitcoin and Ethereum and Litecard as that threatening. But it did make me wonder, are some of the newer coins which are solving the problems, are they potentially setting themselves out to enter a battle that they're not 
ready for, essentially. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, that is a great point. Because a lot of the time, it just seems to me it's people kind of trying to develop a coin, um, you know, like Satoshi to deal with a particular problem of like cutting out visa fees. But now, obviously, a lot of people are developing coins because they're seeing it yeah. as a way to get rich. Which is, you know, there's absolutely nothing, nothing wrong with that. But there are potential um, like deep ramifications. Which it was interesting listening to a man like you know Gary Kilburn and how he was wrestling with them. Um, and and thinking along that kind of yeah. those kind of lines. Um, uh, what else? What else did he say? So yeah, he said that. He said yeah, absolutely. That um, assets are fine. The idea of digital gold is not a problem. If it starts becoming a currency, then you might start having um, governments kicking up a fuss and being a bit upset about that. He also said something which I didn't really agree with, um, which was he, he was very pro the idea of software taking the place of um, kind of human choice. Like, remember him saying, you know, uh, Google's motto is don't be evil, whereas you could program into a blockchain so it can't be evil. But I've always thought that was, you know, quite a dangerous, a dangerous argument because, um, you know, what we say is evil today will be different to what we say is evil in about, you know, 50 years time. Um, you know, certain people could be owned in the past, certain people couldn't vote in the past. I'm not really convinced about this idea of handing over complete control to, to blockchains. But he did, I remember him saying that and seemed to think that that was going to, at least in some respects, solve some problems that we have in yeah. society. I think I think you're right there as well because up until this point, tech has always been um, is as much to do with the user as the tech. So, take a car for instance. A car for the average person is a good way to travel longer distances than you can normally run or walk, or at least a lot quicker. But yeah. you put it into the hands of someone irresponsible, and they can injure other people, for instance. And that has kind of been the dynamic up to now. Like, what you do with the tech has often been the question. And, you know, many films and many things, like famously Planet of the Apes kind of talks about it, doesn't it? About, you know, the bad decisions we make, about how we've adapted tech to become, you know, weaponized, if you like. But the actual tech itself is actually not meant to be like that. It's how we've used it. Whereas he was really taking the next level, wasn't he? He was... You know, this is no longer about choice. Our choice was to set this up, and now we set this up. We don't. We've we've given control of it to other people. Um, but he did kind of the. He did seem to think we'd given control up already in some respects, hadn't he? And I think this is something we talked about in that. Yeah. We kind of uh, with the advent and um, just general technology uh, entering our lives on a much more advanced way. Um, it's it's harder to to be independent. It's harder to be separated. To take that step back, depending on what government you have in charge of you. Um, have you have you ever seen a show called Hunted? No, I've not. So Hunted is a show for Channel Four, and basically they've got yeah uh, some members who used to be part of the Terrorism Task Force um, in Britain, and you get hmm. players on, and uh, they get they disappear. Or try to disappear, and they're on the hunt for mm. I think it's twenty eight days. Um, 
and they get a head start, and then the hunted um, crack team try and hunt them down, essentially. And they've done it in the way of a game show, but what they've done is they've tried to mimic as closely as possible laws that would come into effect if those people were declared to be terrorists. So, and it is that is the bit I found terrifying about it all. Because you, if you manage to label someone with that word, the power that authorities get is basically almost carte blanche. Just like they can look at your phones, they can look at your computers, they can go to your house, they can like they talk to loved ones, they can get their devices if they want, they can put cameras in people's houses, and like, if they think that people are lying and like going to contact them later, they can bug anyone on the fly who might be. Uh, involved in the case it's just like and i was and i think the first season is interesting because the first they gave change the guy simpson notice but hit the guy who led the team he seemed to be almost trying to make the case that we need more powers but when you actually watched it i ca- i came out after the end of the first season thinking i don't understand why we don't catch every terrorist <laughs> you have so much power but how are you missing <laughs> these people <laughs> Well, well, I, I mean, by all accounts, um, they are catching people very, very regularly. That's, that's, that's by all accounts. There are, you know, there are a number of attempts which, which we don't hear about. Um, but yeah, that is, that's quite, that is quite spooky. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's worrying. I've always been kind of worried about, um, you know, I don't think the social network did Zuckerberg very many favours. Um, but I've always thought that it was that Facebook was um, kind of a a program which was designed by someone who wasn't naturally good at making social relations. And then I think what then gets what happens then is other people kind of repeat those bad practices of making social relations, and then that then becomes kind of the norm of how people interact socially. When people think of social networking they really think of facebook and that's kind of the model you know whereby you see something and you like a picture or and that's actually it's not very healthy it's not how people generally respond um you know people aren't trying to get ratings for generally things that they're that they're sharing i'm i'm kind of worried about that i mean obviously i'm super excited about the technology and where it can go but if you code in a practice which isn't particularly good for humans, it's it, it, it that then becomes how humans yes. kind of operate. And so, so the, I was going to yeah, say that that's exactly is in a way that is the point one of the later speakers raised. The guy called Tom Wilkinson, who is head of MI and analytics um, in the UK government, is a civil servant. And he basically said that he started with some myths, didn't he? Myths the blockchain. Uh, and one of them was mm. the blockchain is just a thing. If if you put bad in, you get bad out. <laughs> and this is what yeah. you're talking yeah. about, but in a, a, yeah. like a much more specific way. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, we'll come on to Tom in a bit. Um, okay, because we've actually yeah. got loads of people to get through. Have you got anything else to say about your man, Gary? No, just like I was very impressed with him. I think, I don't know what your opinion was, but I both felt we went expecting a certain level and um, actually 
the level we expected got blown away and he was he was actually a sub who had been told that morning he was coming in he was initially just on the panel and if he's number two I, i'm quite interested to hear who number one has to say <laughs> yeah no he was he was exceptional number one who was supposed to be there was sally eaves um and i believe she will be doing something um I think after Easter at the business school, and because our names are down, we'll get notification of that. So we will feed back on what Sally Eves has to say. But yeah, if she's going to top that, then she's really doing some, she's doing bits. That is what she's doing. Um, The panel, the panel who then came afterwards then had uh, Yaman Garrick. It also had um, Stella Pagidi, Paul Ellis, I think, Stephen George and I think there was there someone missing. Was it was Danny Gill on the panel as well? Second panel, I thought. He might be on the second panel. Um, Yeah, Paul Ellis was definitely there. No, yeah, Paul Ellis was definitely there. Danny Gill was there. Um, Who else? Stella Pacini was definitely there. Um, Yeah, Gareth again. Yeah, Um, four on the same page. I just realised. Look up. Yeah. Um, what did you what so did you I make thought as a panel, um, it was a bit hit and miss. Um, they were four quite different mm. people, and so when they coincided, like when their paths crossed, so to speak, um, it made a lot of sense. You had Garrick, as you said, who was very much into the research aspect of cryptocurrency and the noted technology very well, having been involved with you, Stefan George. Um, so him and his partner were there, his partner was on the second um, panel, and they uh, their business partner, I should say, for a company called Gnosis. But they're all into prediction markets, which I didn't really understand. But it's pretty clear that he he knew it. Maybe him and his his business partner, the inside and out, they were very hard on that stuff. Danny Go was a, an entrepreneur. Um, and I, I found him personally very interesting because he was talking about the tech to quite a deep level. And he was basically saying, I've spent a lot more time and money on developers and people on the actual mining process than I ever thought to be. And he was also, he was kind of suggesting that certain things needed to be rewritten or upgraded. Um, and which again was something that shocks me because I always thought the tech was basically there, but he was kind of suggesting that actually mm. we need another bit of a evolution here again. And the final mm. was Paul Ellis. And, uh... sorry, um, and he was, he was really into his renewable energy, wasn't he? <laughs> mm, he was really into it. It was, it was, I agree. I thought it was really interesting how um, kind of their different nationality to like thinking broad stereotypes. But yeah, Paul Ellis had a very, I would say, traditional like, British view of how the blockchain yes. was going to work and was arguing that there was going to be a, a company would have a private blockchain. Um, because when you're dealing with energy, um, it's too important to be left to you know the public. Um, and then, there, but there would also be alongside that a public blockchain whereby you would you know interface and interact with the public, which was quite different to Stephen George, as he said, with his prediction market. He was like, let's just open the whole thing up to everybody, you know, let's get the public involved. Absolute. Um, wisdom of the crowds but wisdom of, of experts in the crowds which which seemed to be his thing danny go was um 
more concerned, as you say, with entrepreneurs and with um, upskilling the miners. Um, and Garrick was the more like theoretical kind of side. So I thought that was quite interesting. Eh? And when we come to talk about um, is it uh, Tom, then we'll actually find out why the British position is the position that it is in at the moment. But yeah, I thought I thought um, the international identity of, of their takes on the blockchain was quite pronounced and will probably direct how different countries do with this new technology, actually, um, and who it enriches and, and who it yes. doesn't. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, the main takeaway I had from this panel was actually, as I said, the tech one. The other ones were all from Paul Ellis, and basically that renewable energy is very focused on this space, um, and they see it as a potential big advantage. So I was like, okay, fair enough. I actually, I think I actually wrote a note to myself to look up solar energy blockchain. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly the same. I wrote a note. Look into energy markets, asset registration, uh, demand side trade, which I'm going to have to work out what that means, and data, because he believed that these were, especially the demand side response to energy, which I think is the idea that um, the blockchain will be able to, or you'll be able to work out that someone's energy is low, so you're, you can, as it were, pass on the extra capacity that you have in your home or something which can work something like that but um that's like an entirely new market um so might be something to think about getting in yeah i think the other thing that made me think about that was as you said it's it's quite a new market renewable energy despite the fact it's actually quite old because we've i think since we were teenagers they've been talking about it so but because of the development of it in that it's been progressive, but it started so, from a financial point of view, it started so far behind the traditional forms of energy that really, only the last five years, I'd say, that people have begun to really think seriously the Paris talks are like a real focus. And um, I know solar, the efficiency of solar panels has increased at an incredible rate. I've seen wind farms pop up, stuff like that. But relatively speaking, it is still quite a new field. So... I did think, you know, a new field combined with another new field may be able to find something together, whereas a old field may struggle to adapt with a new field. Yeah, and actually, speaking of that, I'm pretty sure, did Danny Go say something like that? Did he not say, I think I remember him saying, it was easier to start something new than to build on what's already there, as in the legacy to an extent kind of got in the way. Yeah, you're right. He really did, yeah. But, yeah. He said there's, yeah. Um, also, the other fact he gave me, which is slowing it up and which is the power of money, is that a lot of the top devs who could be driving it forward are making so much money just mining um, coins that already exist that there's no financial incentive for them to do that, um, which, yeah, I thought was, was quite interesting. And that it's, it's making so much money that actually the space is slowing itself up and slowing um it getting to a place of actual yeah. adoption yeah because wasn't it i think i don't know if we mentioned this last week was it this week we found out that um a company in china had been mining and made as much as the goldman sachs or jp morgan it, it was it was goldman sachs they'd, they'd made as much in mining a chinese mining pool had made as much last year as goldman sachs so tying into what you were saying at the start is it any wonder that they're trying to get in on the act 
Um, but yeah, anything else to say about the Yeah, so panel? I think we'll probably bring this up again later again. But Paul Ellis was the first person I think we've come across in the space who actually seemed to almost, not, I wouldn't say mention, I would say advocate and want and desire privately owned blockchains. <laughs> Yeah, actually, you're absolutely right. That is actually a big deal because we've always had this idea of it's this public kind of new, um, you know, kind of, I'm not going to say socialist, but, you know, um, empowering the little man, empowering the yeah, people. It's not really capitalist or corporate, um, like, at its root. It? <laughs> yeah, or, it, or, it's, a, or it's, a, it's, dare I say, like a really great form of capitalism in that, the individual retains um, their power and their money. Um, however, that is earned through collective action. So, you know, it's like this this really cool balance between left wing and right wing. Um, but your man, Paul Ellis, was having none of that. <laughs> he, was, um, he was just like, no, we're going to have a private blockchain and that's how it's going to work, um, which I could definitely see um, the energy companies doing was a bit worrying though especially you know in the uk paying the energy prices that we are the idea that the um monopoly that already exists is going to be is now going to as a consortium further lock in um their control of the energy market through the blockchain but, yeah, uh, yeah. It, was, it was wasn't it ironically you're saying ironically it was, said, he was the one who talked about renewable energy quite a lot which may be the ones who like if the renewable energy market decided to do public blockchains to counteract what the traditional company is doing as a, almost like a selling tactic, then he, I don't know what he's going to do because he's in both of them over by the sound of it. So. He is. And speaking of that, we, we did bump into a young man whose name I forgot to take, who was very concerned about his Wii Power um, tokens yes. and how they were doing because um, WePower is blockchain based on green energy trading so if you are interested in that kind of field and it's actually been doing quite well recently then there are tokens out there which might be of interest to you I'd, I'd, I'm definitely going to look into it when I get a bit more time um, and if you manage listening then get in touch um, and tell us how you're getting on um, okay um, I'm going to race on just because there were so many people at this amazing talk. Um, there was a member of the European Parliament, you know, who who only said one thing which I did not agree with, which was that she seemed to believe that the UK would be would not be Brexiting. But apart from that, everything else that Eva Kelly said uh, was really, really on point. What did you think of Eva Kelly? Well, I thought I think. I haven't read the. I have to admit, when we went, I haven't read about the people who were going to be there. So I was, I was pretty impressed. We got a member of European Parliament there, and I think straight after she came, she finished. We said it'd be nice to hear the UK perspective now, and it turned out the next keynote speaker was actually a civil servant from the UK. So, so in that way, I think they planned it very well. Mm. Eva Kelly, um, she was she she had she's Grecian, so she's from Greek. Greece and she'd um, kind of come up through that kind of way and then into the European Parliament and she genuinely shocked me she shocked me with the fact that the European uh, or the EU government's governance and um, 
process towards regulation was much, much further ahead than I realised. I think she actually said she, they'd been raised, they'd been talking about the blockchain, that the first attempt at regulation um, discussions were going to be in six months, and she expected um, laws uh, or regulations to be available in about two years, which I was, I was genuinely shocked by that. Yeah, definitely. And she, yeah, she was very confident that would happen. It wasn't, you know, like a fluffy debate. She was like, yep, in about two years, we'll be in this position. Um, a lot of what she said, I thought was, um, well, I think, number one, she'd had, because um, of Greece's um, recent economic woes, I think she'd seen, like, firsthand the potential real-world use of Bitcoin or of, you know, cryptocurrencies as an alternative, as a hedge against, you know, your plummeting fear. Um and I think she termed it something like it's a response to recreating trust, you know, trust which has been lost in the traditional finance sector. Um, Bitcoin could potentially do that. And then she came up with some crazy ideas about it could usher in a widespread review of tax policies in general. Because she pointed out, you know, like the way that you're getting taxed if you're making any profit on cryptocurrencies just isn't really working because like, well, over here you get capital gains and also you're getting taxed on every trade, which is just, it just doesn't make a huge amount of sense. It's not, you know, a very practical way to do it. But then it's, it's a wider kind of taxation problem, um, which might then end up getting looked at completely in the round, which is then, a, that's, that's a huge change a huge kind of um, unintended consequence just of the presence of these cryptocurrencies is that it could actually change the way that people pay tax who are completely unrelated to um, the crypto yes. space. Absolutely, man. I mean, so, yeah, yeah, she did. I mean, she, a lot of her talk was talk, obviously she was giving it from the um, European EU perspective. It seemed to have this triangle that she kept trying to find the balance within or saying that the balance had to be found. So the top of the triangle I've got to protect the citizens. Um, the left triangle part of the triangle is innovation and the right part of the triangle is regulation. And that seemed to be what she was talking about. She was like, she believed in the blockchain. She believed it was very positive. She, the EU perspective seemed positive and they were trying to find the right balance between those three sides. Um, and um, like I mean, the other thing she mentioned, which I hadn't thought about, was the financial aspect. So she gave a practical example, and she said the blockchain could be used as um, a potentially new voting mechanism, which I think we've discussed on previous pods. She gave, a yeah. she gave uh, an example in numbers. She said, if you take a population of 800,000, uh, sorry, if you take a population of uh, two to 300,000, it costs approximately 800,000, um, I assume you're talking in euros, by the way, because, yeah, <laughs> um, to, mm. yeah, to yeah, do a voting, yeah. uh, to do an election, essentially, using that. If you did that same election on the blockchain, apparently it would cost 50,000. When they've run the numbers in general, generally it costs about a tenth of what it would for traditional election practices which i mean that really blew my mind as well it never occurred to me that, be that much cheap yeah yeah and then it, and then exactly because then that 
that leads on to well if it is that much cheaper and if you can get it to work you can then start having well more um more occasions when the public can vote it could actually potentially completely revolutionize your democracy because you could you could have like 10 more for the same price so you could vote on you know education on health on police or whatever you could actually then have targeted voting what would you like to happen um in this area of society or this area or this area and it can all be done it's all on the blockchain it's all there it's, you know you can't tamper with it um that again is you know unintended consequence which could be genuinely revolutionary so yeah that was i thought that was really cool yeah i did as well man absolutely um the other uh, thing she mentioned, which isn't actually related to blockchain at all, which I was I, th I really need to look into, is apparently biometrics is already old hat or going that way, and people are looking at behavioural analytics. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, I was good. Yeah, 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 I was good talking about that. It was yeah, crazy. That apparently yeah, you can hack a biometric, but there's there's a the way that let's say you use your phone. Like the way you swipe or the way that you hold your phone is kind of um, unique to you. I think yeah, that was she seemed to be suggesting that, yeah, your behavior with your phone is almost like a fingerprint in itself, and that people are yeah. working on that so they can identify it. Um, yeah, I mean, I have to admit, I've generally been pessimistic about biometrics for a long time, um, but for, for, for two, only for two reasons. The first one being, that often when couples get together they you know you, you kind of allow access to your, your devices don't you um and biometrics kind of like initially stopped that but mainly because i was about 12 years old when i watched demolition man and if you remember the opening scene <laughs> wesley snipes <laughs> gets out of the prison i never wanted that <laughs> your eyeball <laughs> Demolition man holding back the advances <laughs> of science. I haven't seen it for ages. I might actually. I'll see if it's. On yeah, the I'm actually. I watched it again recently, it and um, I listened to another podcast called podcast called How Did This Get Made? It's all about um, popular kind of that kind of film or just rubbish films, um, and they're very funny. They're very funny. Three actors who do it, um, and uh, one of the things they pointed out, which I didn't notice, was the way it plays out. <laughs> Sergeant Bullock is probably his daughter. <laughs> if really? you think about it, she's obsessed with the timeline. She's got a missing father who just disappeared, who apparently was in law enforcement. Because that's not funny. That's really you're ruining my childhood. This is this is this is a uh, this is a tragic tragic thing. It's still the um, Watch it. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it again. I'll watch it again, see if it's see if it's, it holds up. Um yeah, so um that was Eva Kelly's contribution. Did she say anything else? She said about Horizon twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, which is Europe. Yeah, they're funding potential pro projects for the blockchain, uh, sandboxing them and all that. Um said about GDPR, which is data protection, which we'll come back to when we talk about what Vinay Gupta said, because that is the clash that he picked out but yeah again again i was just very very impressed by her knowledge her enthusiasm um and just the kind of platform that other countries are putting blockchain tech on um so then i think we probably need to come to 
good old blighty and find out why um, the UK is um, once again finding reasons to um, not make best use of its um, good position. Well, that's the end of episode one on blockchain governance. Lots of good facts and knowledge, especially about what the public sector is doing and what banks are doing. And also the position that uh, your members of European Parliament are taking up. Stay tuned for episode two, where we're going to hear about what the UK is doing and some of the future issues and clashes between public policy, blockchain and personal rights.